All right, welcome back. Welcome back to the Deep Cover Podcast. Here we are once again. Uh, I'm joined by Chris and Carrie. I'm Mike. Uh, we're going to kick around some of the uh, more recent free agency moves uh, the Ravens have made. A lot of re-signing of their own guys, which uh, when you have a team that went 14-2, and two, that's probably a good thing. Um, but then we're also going to do a little draft talk at the end and uh, do it in, in, you know, what I hope is, is what we hope is a little bit of a unique way. Uh, so we'll save that and, uh, you know, sort of how we're how we're going to try to deliver that to you guys. But it should be should be pretty fun. But before we get into anything else, let me start, as always, by touching base with the guys first. I'll start with Kerry. What's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, man, not too good, man. Not too good. Barbershop is closed until April 24th. Mm, I saw you tweet so, about that. Yeah, so I'm I'm officially on the sick and shut in list. You know, for that. <laughs> I saw that, it's hard out here, man. I was gonna say, is there is there any way uh that you could get Barbara to come to you, but then it's still the whole distancing thing. So right. I just I know, I don't know how you get around just, that. Just in a tough spot, man. You know, you know those uh, apps that they got out there where um, you know, you can take your picture and it'll make you look older, like it, it'll kind of simulate how you'll look when you get old. Yeah. Well, I stay away from those, man, because I already know I'm gonna look like Grady from Sanford and something. <laughs> <I get older. laughs> you know, it, it's a reason why I stay away from that. So I don't, I don't need, you know, a couple of weeks without a cut, man, to have a reminder of, you know, what I'm gonna look like in my in my 70s. So. Yeah, yeah, it's hard out here for your boy right here. So just, 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 just pray for me right now, man. Just, just pray for me. We're gonna keep you in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, the good news is none of us can see. None of us know <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, you got, you. yeah, you got that going for you. Uh, so, Chris, what's going on, man? Is 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 the barbershop lockdown affecting you in the same way, or you have other 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 things going on? <laughs> Um, I mean, the barbershop thing, I mean, I'm sure I could probably go to my barber's and uh, I could probably go to his house and um, I'll just tell him put on like those steel worker gloves <laughs> so, he, so he could line me up. But um, but I'm not I'm not I'm not too down about it because it's, it's my birthday tomorrow. So I got to be I got to be in good spirit. There it is. Yes, Happy sir. early birthday. Happy early birthday. Yes, sir. Happy oh, birthday. Always something to be celebrated. I can remember when I turned 21. It's a very exciting time. <laughs> you know, be careful. As, as my as my, my parents told me, you know, don't hurt nobody. Right. Yeah. Out there, don't hurt nobody. So I know we, we're self quarantining. So I guess we care. Yeah. <laughs> right but uh, uh, one one good thing about being here in uh, Maryland uh, is the governor is, is part of uh, some of the restrictions he put in place. One thing that I hope becomes a permanent thing. I think they're going to take it back, though, after after all the quarantine and stuff. But um, delivering liquor to your home, that is fully authorized by the governor right now. And some people, pe- people in other states have told me, oh, we've already had that. You live in the wrong state. Really, <laughs> I, I live in Maryland. Okay, We have not had that. 
So the fact that that has been authorized and, uh, you know, I've been availing myself for that. I hope that that remains uh, a permanent thing, even even after all this self quarantine is over. But I, I got a feeling he's gonna he's gonna take that back at some point. So <laughs> gonna get a lot of a lot of Maker's Mark uh, requests at the yeah, Crawford man. household. I, I mean, just just as we are, you know, recording this right now, uh, I'm on E. Uh, so oh. you know, we, gotta, we gotta figure something out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're just in, just in time for the weekend. I got I to gotta get out there at the fire pit that's in my backyard. I don't let anybody else come back there. So I'm quarantined properly. Uh, and I, I usually like to have myself a little adult beverage while I'm out there. So got to figure something out tomorrow. But anyway, uh, you know, a problem for another day. Uh, without further ado, then, let's let's jump in to some of this free agency talk. Free agency continues to move along. Obviously, we had a very you know busy sort of early part of free agency certainly by the raven standards are usually not not that kind of busy uh in the early part of it and we talked about a lot of those moves in the last pod but now um this go around a lot of re-signing of their own guys and i'm gonna start out with you on on this one chris right at the top uh one that we talked about we did a little kind of rapid fire round with a couple of guys who we you know we put our thoughts out there on whether they'd be back or not be back and this is a guy that i don't know that any of us maybe carry i think carrie thought he might be back but i think me and you said we didn't think he'd be back but jimmy smith he's back yeah and it's at a at a really cheap price too that's that i'm last year that i mean what last year last week that was one of the things where I said I didn't think it was going to be able to happen because I looked at the contract that Josh Norman got from the Bills and he signed a one-year, $6 million contract. And I said, there's no way that Jimmy Smith is getting anywhere near that. I, I think I said he's like $9 million a year kind of guy. And damn was I wrong because he's going to be getting like about the same. Well, the contract is up to $6 million. If I if I read it correctly, so it was just not definitely not the market I thought he was going to have. And from the reports that I saw, um, I think Jeff Zrebrek said that the Ravens offered him way more than that during the season, and he turned it down. So it's definitely caught him by surprise too. But I'm I'm glad they got him back because you know he's an important part of of this this defense, and it's. It's something that we've seen time and time again where there's a lack of depth behind the top corners. And going into this season with him, Marlon, Marcus, hopefully Tavon, and then the two young guys with Averitt, who hopefully can develop, and then with uh, Biggie Marshall, who can, you know, hopefully he could see some time too and not, not have to spend most of his season on IR. Um, you know, it sh- it should be a good good year for this cornerback group. It definitely should be. It definitely should be. Carrie, let me hit you on this. Jimmy's back at a very very uh, what appears to be from what was reported team friendly contract, and then Chris just laid it all out. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to presume, you know, kind of what his role is going to be, but just on paper, we're looking at it today. Uh, not a bad thing when your fourth cornerback is Jimmy Smith. No, not at all. And, you know, maybe with, you know, Jimmy back in the fold, maybe those uh, Frank Walker nightmares will stop now for, (laughs) you know, the the people, you know, over in the castle. But no, it was surprising, man, that 
the the contract number. I mean, for him to only get three and a half million guaranteed is just mind boggling to me. I mean, I watched a lot of football uh, last year. Let me tell you what I didn't see is a bunch of quality cornerback play. I mean, there were some guys out there getting toasted. So, <laughs> you know, for a, a quality corner like like Jimmy to be on the market and especially at this price, uh, it's just kind of strange that you know more teams weren't willing to to uh you know meet this price point but you know at the same token with jimmy he was talking at the end of the season like he was confident he was going to be back you know with the ravens and i was looking at it like hey we got peters you got Tavon at a big number you got um you know marlon humphrey coming up on a big number I wasn't as confident in that, but, you know, clearly he was. So maybe other teams did kind of step up to the plate and, you know, made a similar offer. But, you know, he chose to, you know, stick around in Baltimore. But, you know, it's definitely good news for us. Uh, it locks in, you know, to me, the best cornerback group in football and the best, you know, secondary in football and just gives them a lot of flexibility um, going forward and, you know, takes the pressure off of, uh, you know, Tavon Young in a sense, because, you know, if something happens there and he can't go, um, while Humphrey can slide into that slot, you know, it's not the best thing because he's, you know, so much better on the outside, but he has proven that he can play that slot role effectively. So, you know, just, you know, good insurance for the, for the Ravens with this one. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we've talked about it a bunch of times. Ravens fans know it. Football fans know it with with any position, really. I mean, everybody knows football has a 100 percent injury rate, but particularly with, with defensive back, with cornerback, it really feels more like a win and not an if when it comes to injury. Somebody in your group is going to suffer an injury uh, during the season. And, you know, like like the old cliche, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And, you know, you talked about the Frank Walker nightmares and, <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've seen uh, when 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 one of your starters go down, um, you know, what can happen, you know, when, when you don't have quality depth. And uh, to the point that you guys both made about Jimmy, um, who, who's been a starting cornerback for a long time in this league and when he was healthy and, and on his game, one of the better ones in the league. So to have that guy. Um, in your group as as a potential rotational player or, or deaf, you know, however they decide to approach it um, is, is is really a nice option to have. Now, of course, I got the tissue box out here uh, next to me as we record because signing Jimmy probably means Brandon Carr is not going to come back. Obviously, we talked in the last show about the team declining the exercise option. Of course, I was still holding out hope that even even, you know, Without that, that they would find a way to bring him back. But now with signing Jimmy and the other moves they made and some of these other moves we're, we're going to talk about here in a few, um, it just doesn't seem like there's there's the room to bring Brandon back. So if you hear some some sniffling or something, um, you know, I, I have the appropriate tissue to help me get through. But I'm a professional. <laughs> As I said, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suck it up and, and we're going to get through. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's keep it rolling. And let's talk about this was kind of an interesting move. So this was not a um, re-signing. I'm, I'm, we're we're going to touch on some some other re-signings, but I, I kind of wanted to interject this one in just because you don't see this often. 
you don't see teams trading players within the division, within their division, to a rival very often. But uh, and I'll start with you on this one, Kerry. Uh, the Ravens traded Chris Wormley to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a fifth round pick, a 2021 pick. So it's not in this year's draft. Uh, this is next year's draft. Um, and, you know, you can talk about the conversation. You can talk about the player. Um, but just the fact that they made that trade within the division, that really says something to me. Um, what does it say to you? Yeah, it was a strange move, man. Really strange move on the surface. Um, Wormley is a, a quality player, but I think he's kind of limited to just that five technique um, position. And, you know, we talked the last part about how much versatility they are building uh, across the front with guys that can play multiple positions. Um, and I think the way I kind of interpreted it uh, was they, they just didn't see him in his in their plans after 2020. You know, he's going into his walk year. Uh, he's a guy that uh, he wasn't going to fetch, fetch much of a, a, a comp pick um, because he just wasn't, like, even if he played great, he wasn't going to play enough to really, um, you know, boost his value around the league enough to really net a, a comp pick. And I think the way that things are trending right now, uh, the Ravens don't really look like they're going to have too much of a comp, comp pick haul. They may not have a comp pick at all in 2021. So I think they looked at this as an opportunity, uh, you know, to to swap that seven for a fifth and, you know, get some equity in, into the 2021 draft. You know, the Costa loves picks. And, you know, even though they have, you know, they didn't trade in their 2021 picks, you know, before this deal, you know, he's always looking for more. So I think they just looked at this as an opportunity, uh, you know, to cash in value wise. And then we know they're tied up against the cap. So, you know, they save a little money there. And, you know, the Pittsburgh thing is weird. But I mean, hey, we don't know what other teams were offering. You know, if other teams were offering, uh, you know, a seven forum or a conditional six and, you know, the Pittsburgh was willing to go to the fifth, then, you know, sometimes you got to, uh, you know, make the deal that, that makes the most sense for, for your team. That's a good point. Um, I have to admit, I was so focused on the disrespect angle uh, <laughs> that I really didn't <laughs> think uh, about the fact that this was a way to get something akin to a comp pick in 2021 when it looks like they may not have um, many, if any, comp picks in 2021. So, Chris, let me let me get your thoughts on it uh, on it. Now, was I wrong to spend too much time focusing on Chris Wormley being disrespected by being traded to a rival? <laughs> no, I mean, it's that's the first thing that that jumps out at you. Because when you hear Chris Wormley's traded, you're like, oh, damn, he would have been a nice rotational piece. And then when you see to the Steelers, you're like, wait a minute now. What are they? Why are these two teams trading? They're not supposed to be even talking to each other. And then, you know, it's it's like, wow. So they didn't think that much of him to like not mind having to face him two times a year and potentially more of maybe, you know, comes back with them, you know, and during his uh his uh, free agency period. But it's something that it was a strange thing. But like Kerry said, I mean, they're going to 
they're going to get compensation back for him. So, like you said, that's kind of you know their their comp pick in a way, like like Harry said. But um, and I don't know if they were even interested in re-signing him or not. But it, it kind of reminded me of the Timmy Jernigan deal that they made a few years ago with the Eagles, where Jernigan he was going to price himself out, so they just got in front of it and said, let's let's trade him and let's get something for him, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's that's a good callback on on the Jernigan deal. Be uh, better to be early than to be late uh, on on some of these things. And this could have been um, one of those situations as well. So um, wish him luck. Uh, I like Wormley as a player I, going into the 2019 season. I, I really thought he had the opportunity to kind of take another step um, and not saying he didn't. But, um, you know, he certainly was a, a contributor and a part of their defensive line rotation. But um, he was a guy who I thought just, you know, was one of those lunch pail kind of guys, did his job, um, you know, pretty dependable. So I wish him luck, um, you know, uh, in in all the games except for two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's go back to, to some of these uh, signings now. Um, and this was one that we talked about last episode and we were unanimous uh uh chris I'll, I'll start with you on this one on wanting to see them bring back anthony levine we wanted to see co-cap back and co-cap is back yeah i mean that was a unanimous choice for all of us and uh apparently the ravens agreed with us too and you know i, I think it's a big deal because we saw we saw an off year with for the special teams unit and uh, a lot of people would probably poo-poo this and and say, you know, oh, why would you bring back a guy that was on a, a bad, a bad unit? But that, I don't that's not how it works. You know, we have a track record of Levine, you know, being a superb special teamer and bringing him back. It's definitely not going to hurt to have a guy like that who's, you know, a, a captain of special teams. It, that never hurts. So having him back, I, I think is huge for this unit. No doubt. No doubt. Kerry, what do you think about CoCap being back? Yeah, man, I, great move. Uh, uh, you know, a leader on the special teams units um, gives you a quality option in that dime package. And to kind of piggyback off Chris, you know, special teams was down a bit last year. But it's funny how when players go down, you know, they they people look at the impact on the offense or the defense, but they don't look at the impact on the special teams, you know, early in the season, this team like just turned their um, inside linebacker core, you know, totally turned it over. You know, these are guys that are all playing on special teams. So there's a lot of transition going, going on uh, last season. And I'm sure that'll be a, you know, a focus to, get back to the levels that they're used to playing at, but uh, Anthony Levine is a, you know, rock solid special teams guy that you definitely want to keep around. Uh, so, you know, again, like I said, uh, still a quality option in that dime package. So, and, you know, more than anything, he's a trusted and respected leader in the locker room. And, you know, when you got a chance to keep those kind of guys around, you definitely want to do it. Absolutely. Uh Good, very good point there about uh, locker room leadership. One of the members of the council, uh, along with uh, Judon and 
I think Humphrey wanted to be on the council. I don't know that he's on the council. I think Peanut was on it. Judon was on it. It was Jefferson. Yeah, yeah, Jefferson was there. Um, I think Humphrey wanted to be there. I don't know if he. I don't know if they they've accepted his uh, application for membership or not. But um, but yeah, that, clearly uh, CoCap uh, a leader um, in the locker room and and somebody who I will always remember. I mentioned this almost as like broken record every time we talk about him. Who when Eric Weddle came here said this guy needs to be playing more on defense. He's too good to only be limited to special teams. Um, and you know he 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 lost some of those defensive snaps. Um, last year, you know, from, from 2018 to 2019, 2018, I, th- I think we saw him, you know, play a lot more on defense and, and, and really make some big plays. Um, that Cleveland game comes to mind, uh, two stops, you know, late in that game. Um, so, um, hopefully we'll get to see him some more on defense in 2020, but speaking with this special teams theme, and I'll stay with you on this one, Carrie, they also re-signed Chris Moore, scuba score Moore. Uh, he is he was uh, affectionately known, uh, kind of made his bones on special teams. I think people always kind of go into every season expecting a little bit more from him as a wide receiver. And we like to kind of predict that Chris Moore breakout every year. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you won't see more or he won't have more involvement. But I think when people do that, it kind of downplays his importance on special teams. And he, he's really a, a a core special teams player, one of their better special teams players. Oh, yeah, no doubt. This was one where um, Twitter was not happy about this move when it happened. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think people are just overthinking this. You know, like you said, he's a core special team player who plays on a lot of uh, you know, pretty much all the, the coverage teams for the Ravens, and it gives them depth as a kit returner. That's huge. I mean, just that alone. You know, we're not even talking about a receiving value at all. If we were talking just the core special teams players on all your units, and he gives you the ability to return kicks, you know, if you get into a crunch in a game where your kit returner goes down, he's a guy that can go back there and do it. That in itself has value. Um, to me, this isn't a situation where it's going to preclude them from drafting receivers. I think whatever plan they had before they signed Chris Moore will be the exact same plan after they signed Chris Moore as far as receiver. And at the same time, it doesn't – I've seen a couple of people say, well, this locks in uh, uh, him to a roster spot and keep somebody, you know, talented off the team. And I don't think that's necessarily the case either. If they get into a crunch and, you know, specifically at receiver, if they have, you know, six guys that they need to keep and, you know, maybe it's a late round rookie who impresses, um, you know, if that guy has, you know, a four year contract and Chris Moore is only on a one year deal, they're going to keep that guy over Chris Moore. So, you know, to me, this doesn't lock him into, um, you know, absolutely being on the roster. But I definitely see him as a guy that can be on the roster and uh, be useful. So, I mean, people shouldn't be upset about having useful players on their football team. They should not, uh, particularly when it's a one year deal uh, to the point that you just made. So uh, it it definitely isn't a locked in uh, situation uh, on, on any level. Um, Chris, let me throw this at you. 
from one Chris to another Chris, how do you feel about Scoop and Score More uh, being back? He's ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's great, man. I mean, why would you not? It's the, it's the same. It's almost the same reasoning with um, with, with Levine. It's like he, he's a great special teamer for, for the team. And then, like Kerry said, he brings that versatility where in a pinch, yeah, he can play receiver. In a pinch, yeah, he can, you know, return kicks. And he's been solid as, as a kick returner. I mean, he's not Devin Hester, but he also <laughs> doesn't fumble or anything. And that says a lot, as we know, in Baltimore, because mm-hmm. how many times have we seen guys just put the ball on the ground and just can't even catch the ball, let alone return it? And he, he's had a good track record of at least being able to you know, be reliable enough to catch the ball and just, you know, not not put it on the ground. Yeah, and, and when and when we talk about that, again, it, it's just about, you know, what coaches say, the more you can do, right? So you have all these different things that Chris Moore can do. That's no slight to DeAnthony Thomas at all. I mean, we know they, they brought him back, and he's, he's probably, you know, sort of the leader in the clubhouse from from the returner perspective. But, um you know, you, you just never know when you're going to need somebody to, to step up and step into that role. So to have a guy like Chris Moore, a young vet who's played a lot on special teams uh, and who you can trust and on a one year deal, um, this is not a bad thing in, in my mind. Um, so one more um, sort of pair of, of signings uh, this time. Uh, Ravens players that were not resigned, signed by other teams uh, before we get into the draft talk. Uh, And I'll start this one off with you, Chris, and I'm going to lump these guys together. Uh, So Josh Bynes reportedly signs with the Bengals. Um, Patrick uh, Owasu Peanut, as we all know him by, uh, reportedly signs with um, the Ravens Northeast, uh, a.k.a. the New York Jets. And... uh, Get your thoughts on those two moves, just the moves. But then where does that kind of leave you in terms of the state of the Ravens inside linebacker core? I think right now with those two moves, you know, not official, but assuming everything goes through um, in terms of inside linebackers you have under contract, you got LJ Fort, uh, Chris Board, Matara Alaka. So uh, how do you feel about those two moves, Chris? Um, well, I'm, I was I anticipated Peanut not being around because of his diminished role, and it just seemed like he kind of fallen out of favor with Harbaugh, and we know how that goes sometimes. So it, I kind of saw that coming. Um, with Josh Bynes, it was it was a little bit surprising to see that he had he had a market because uh, last week I talked about how I saw the Packers were were in on him, and then signed with the Bengals yesterday. So apparently there was a, a pretty good market for, for Bynes, which is great for him. I mean, you know, the guy was on the street, you know, during the season and uh, he came in and, you know, he, he did well, well enough to, to garner interest around the league. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he was able to to find a, a spot and, and get a good contract that, that he wanted. But uh, as far as the Ravens, it it definitely hurts not to not to bring him back because he was such a reliable a reliable guy in the middle of that that chaotic defense that they have so you do miss that veteran leadership and presence there but uh as far as what they'll do to to replace that 
Um, I think that we'll see a lot more of, of Fort in the middle of the defense, uh, just because he's you know he's a veteran guy and he's he's going to be more familiar with the system next year. And uh, then uh, we'll definitely probably have to look at some guys in the draft. That's you know we know that for sure that they'll look at someone. When they do, we'll get into that. We don't know what round, but uh, I, they'll definitely be drafting someone. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's like, um, what's the thing back in the day? Donald Runfield used to say, that's the known unknown, right? We know they, they need to address that position, and they're probably going to address it in, in, in the draft. Um, but we don't know who that player is going to be, and we know when they're going to do it. Uh, but Kerry, let me let me throw this one over to you. Uh, you can go back just two years, right? Just back to 2018, and and even look at 2019, and they basically have turned over their entire inside linebacker group. So CJ's gone, Peanut's gone, um, White Fit Kenny Young is gone, and <laughs> <laughs> now you've got a whole new look at that inside linebacker spot, man. What do you think? Yeah, the the Peanut to the Jets one, you know, that was always the most likely scenario. You know, he was in a situation where you knew he was going to be signing a one-year prove-it kind of deal. Uh, So for me, um, are you going to go somewhere um, where you potentially have a chance to start? Or are you going to come back to Baltimore and be a clear third, maybe even fourth guy in the platoon, you know, in a position where, you know, the year, your season is big, you're trying to cash in, you know, he wants as many opportunities as possible. So for me, it never really made sense for him to come back to Baltimore. I mean, I guess if they thought they were going to lose buys and, you know, Peanut came back and feel like, you know, he could be, you know, the starter at will, maybe, but then that's risky because you could sign with the Ravens and then they could, you know, draft a guy in the first round and then you're right back to being the third guy. So, you know, I, I always viewed that as, you know, the most like uh, most likely scenario there uh, with buys that one stung a little bit, you know, like you call him the stabilizer. He came in and stabilized that inside linebacker position. And, you know, I, I felt really good about the prospects of, you know, running back that platoon from last year with him and four and then, you know, obviously a rookie uh, coming in, um, you know, from this draft, hopefully a rookie with, that has some starter traits that they can kind of, you know, groom into being somebody uh, they can count on in 2021. You know, maybe as a guy you have to count on in 2020 now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the Ravens react to it. But the one thing I took away from the Bonds thing is, um, Apparently, from what uh, Jeff um, Zrebeck was saying, um, the Bynes deal is not expected to be enough to warrant a comp pick. And I think they have to make at least 2.5, somewhere in that 2.5 to 3 million range. So to me, and this is total speculation because I don't know, you know, I'm not in privy to those negotiations, but if the deal was only 2.5 million or so and the Ravens were unwilling to match that, then that kind of lets me know know that they feel comfortable enough with the situation going forward where they feel like they can find someone to fill in, you know, 
if if we're just talking this kind of money. So, you know, that was that was probably my biggest takeaway from uh, the, the Bynes uh, situation. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point on that, um, because that is not a ton of money. And, you know, all things being equal, if the money was going to be the same here um, or or like you mentioned, if the Ravens weren't weren't even willing to offer that amount of money, um, that's 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 an interesting angle on that that I hadn't thought about before. So uh, it does say something about um, how they feel about that position and how they might address it. And, you know, maybe part of what it says is look, they go into it almost like they did in 2019 with Kenny Young and, and Peanut. And they said, we got these two young guys and let's let them compete and, you know, kind of kind of see how it plays out on the field. And, then, you know, we all know how that went. So maybe they go into 2020, similar approach. We've got Chris Board, we've got LJ Fort, who, who's a who's a vet that's been around and can do a little bit of uh of a bunch of different things you know can can play mike can play in coverage um and then you know you've got chris board like i said and otara Alaka, young guys you know who who are still kind of feeling their way um you know maybe we approach it that same way in 2020 and then you know supplement with a draft pick like you guys said so that'll be interesting but speaking of draft picks I'm trying to work on my segues. That oh. one was a little str- that one was a little strange. <laughs> was a little strange, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna clean them up. I'm gonna clean them up. But speaking of draft picks, let's let's switch gears now and let's let's get into a little bit of draft talk. And I'm gonna try to lay this out. I'm probably gonna do a bad job. Uh, at some point, we'll we'll try to tweet a visual out uh, to to help this make a little bit more sense. But uh, since we're audio only right now, who knows? Maybe one day we'll be on YouTube. You never know. Um, I'll try to explain this. So, um, we all kind of brainstormed and came up with this idea and we thought it'd be a fun way to talk about the draft. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to look at that Ravens first round pick, right? The 28th pick in the first round. Uh, we're going to look at 12 players who have been mocked or mentioned uh, as potential selections at that 28th pick from various sources uh, around the internets. And we're going to do it bracket style, March Madness style. We know we don't have that right now. And that that's a, that's a bummer on many levels. Uh, (laughs) It's just that we don't have the tournament to watch right now, but Hey, you know, lives are more important. Everybody gets that. Um, So what we're going to try to do is take those 12 players. We're going to pair them off. Right. So you're going to have six individual matchups. That's that's, you know, one 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 matchup will be two players and we're going to talk about them. Um, You know, we're going to we're going to pick players and kind of make our case for that player at 28. And then it's going to take two of the three of us to vote that player through to the next round, if you will. Right. If you think about this as a as a as a March Madness style bracket. So we're going from first round, second round. I guess we'll get to the third round, maybe even fourth. I don't know if we'll have a fourth, but we're going to we'll go through see. multiple rounds. We're going to uh, try until we get to a quote unquote winner, right? <laughs> of, of who makes it all the way through the bracket. And, and at least uh, through that process, who should be quote unquote should be the big at 28. <laughs> and, and the way this worked out was kind of interesting. We were able to kind of pair these guys up in position groups so we have a lot of guys at the same position going up against each other. I think we ran into two guys where we couldn't do that, but uh, those guys are going to get first round buys. 
uh, since we couldn't pair them into, we didn't have another guy of, of, of the same position group to pair them up with. So, uh, but we're going to start tonight. Um, we're going to try to get through two, at least two, maybe three of these matchups. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But we're going to start tonight at the wide receiver position. And we're going to start with two guys, uh, Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims. And I'm going to start with Chris. Chris uh, is going to be repping Justin Jefferson and uh, making the case for the wide receiver from LSU and that uh, historic offense, historic run, uh, you know, captained by Joe Burrow uh, that they went on this past year. So, Chris, I'm going to. Uh, turn the floor over to you to uh, to make the case for Justin Jefferson at 28. All right. So Justin Jefferson, he's a guy that, um, you know, once I started watching him, he was a guy that I I really liked because he was he was real scrappy. He's a he's a, you know, scrawny kind of guy. But don't let that fool you because he's a he's a dog. He he will mix it up in the run game and uh, he he likes to, to be in the middle of the of the chaos, so to speak. So he's listed at six uh, six one uh he's 198 pounds so like i said he's on the slim side but he's not you know he's he isn't a short guy by any means and he has long arms um and he tested incredibly well at the the combine he ran a four four three which surprised everybody because going into it 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 was thought he was going to be a four 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 guy four four five maybe but he tested at four four three and that just blew everybody's socks off. So he he has the athleticism and uh, he mixed it up at LSU uh, last year for the 2018 season. He played on the outside mostly and uh, he had some success. Uh, they were they changed a new offense. Joe Burrow's his, it was his first year there, so he didn't have quite the same success on the outside. But then uh, for the 2019 season. He lined up primarily in the slot, and that's that's something that it reminded me of of AJ Brown last year, where AJ Brown was getting that that label of just being a slot receiver, just being a slot receiver. But the year prior to his his uh, last season at Ole Miss, he played on the outside as well, just like Justin Jefferson did. And I think we could see that as well with Justin Jefferson. He's not he's a, he's a different player from AJ Brown. But he has that versatility where he can line up inside and outside as well. And that's a big thing that, you know, players, a lot of collegiate wide receivers, they don't have that that versatility where they can be moved around like that and play the different receiver roles. So I think that's something that he'll be ahead of the curve of. Another thing that I like about him is his hands. He's an incredible hands catcher. He makes these acrobatic catches that, you know, with high degrees of difficulty. And that's something that I also really liked about him. Um, I would say if if I had to put the ne- a negative on him, I would say that his 4-4-3 that he tested at, it doesn't always show up on tape. I think that's why there were some concerns about his speed. But I think there are enough instances where you see him on the, in the open field where he can pull away from defenders, uh, mainly in... There was a the Texas game this past season where he he catches a ball and, and he just runs away from the defenders and you really see that on display. All right. Now I'm gonna normally, you know, when we, we're going through topics and, and I'm I'm giving both 
both of you guys an opportunity to, to share your thoughts. I put in a little filler. I'm not going to do that uh, in this. I'm going to save my thoughts to the end because, like I mentioned, we're, there, there's going to be a voting process. So now I'm just going to go directly over to Kerry and let him stump for his guy, Denzel Mims. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm about to go straight, you know, cricket politician on y'all real quick. So, <laughs> you know, do you want the cute, you know, running option route side of the slot guy or do you want the big X receiver uh, with my man Denzel Mims? Uh, has that 439 speed, uh, you know, hands catcher will extend outside of his frame to make catches. Um, the thing that really jumps out right away for him is his work in the run game. For a team like the Ravens who, you know, run the ball the way they run it, this guy, I mean, they, I mean, they have to be salivating thinking of, you know, him um, outside just making things happen. I mean, I've seen him body corners on multiple occasions uh, on film. Um, for a big guy, he's a lot more sudden than what I expected. You know, I, I think I don't think he's uh, X receiver only. Um, like, I don't know if he's going to, you know, consistently line up in the slot. But, uh, you know, I think he can play. uh you know, on either side, on you know, and you know, do some things, uh, you know, move in motion. Um, uh, again, just a, a guy with a lot of upside, has some juice after the catch. I mean, really, really looks like a guy that's gonna um, always make the first guy miss after the catch. Not necessarily with um, moves, but you know, with physicality, with stiff arms. You know, he's a guy that's you know kind of tough to bring down. Um, and um, he's a guy that uh, just has some, um, you know, little receiver skills to him, head, face, different things. Um, so, you know, he's a very intriguing um, high upside um, prospect. But I think he does do some things that, that give him a solid floor. You know, if he's not a guy that can move around a bunch, I think you can stick him an X receiver right away. He can be a threat in the running game. You know, he's going to make plays at the catch point, you know, make things happen on the boundary and, uh, you know, be a welcome addition to the um, to the Ravens offense. So we talked about um, I talked about this voting process and how two of the three of us would have to vote for a guy in order for him to go on to the next round. And um, that puts me in the position of having the vote on this one in this matchup. Uh, of what to, to, you know, to push the guy through, push, you know, either either Justin Jefferson or Denzel Mims through to the next round. Because obviously, Chris, we know that your vote would be with Justin Jefferson and uh, Kerry, we know your vote would be with Denzel Mims. So for I, I vote, let me just add my little my little two cents in, in into the discussion. Obviously, very convincing cases made uh, by both of you for both of these guys. Um, you know, I, I don't know that you could go wrong if either one of these guys were available at 28. And, and you picked either one of them. Um, one thing I like about both guys, you guys know this about me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for players with track backgrounds. Both of these guys have a track and field background. Um, Jeff, Jefferson was was a triple jumper and a long jumper and, and did some of the relays. Uh, Denzel was a 100-meter guy um, in Texas uh, also did some of the relays. So and you could you could see that at the at the combine, right, when it came to their their athletic testing. Both guys tested well, as you as, as both of you mentioned, but you could you could see that Mims 
had that track and field background and, and knew that in an event like the combine, he probably was going to do well. Uh, a four three eight, though, I'll be honest. When I watched him on tape, I, I didn't see four three eight. He ran well, but I did not. I did not see four three eight. And then he had some crazy, um, you know, uh, jumps. I mean, a thirty eight and a half vertical. Uh, 131 inch broad, 6.66 three cone. I mean, he he did some crazy things. But again, guys that have that track and build, track and field background uh, typically are are gonna test well in a track and field type environment, which the combine really kind of is. Um, you know, not not the on field drills, but but you know the the athletic testing. So you expect that. Um, so with all that said, uh, let me cast my vote. I'm gonna go with Denzel Mims. Uh, oh. <laughs> was very convinced was very convinced by the Jefferson Justin Jefferson argument but you know I'm swayed I'm swayed by um little glimmers or little insights into a guy's personality and 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 you made the point Gary and I I've seen the comments when they asked Denzel Mims about you know what he brings to a team what sets him apart from the other receivers in this draft and he talked about run blocking who talks about run blocking as a wide receiver? That's not the first thing that these guys, you know, normally it's my hands, my competitiveness, the speed, whatever. No, run blocking, right? I'm going to go out there and on the first play, I'm going to try to put a corner on his back in the run game. <laughs> so that's old me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Once I heard that, uh, that's old me. So I, um, I know I was against Mims, but there's another thing, too, that he brought up that I'm that I'm partial to. And it's his love for barbecue. So that's so oh, he, he's he's good in my book. He said he puts barbecue sauce on on everything. So he's good in my book just from that. Texas guy, Texas guy. So that makes sense, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, look, that that that's gonna that's gonna put you up another notch for sure. <laughs> if you like some barbecue, I'm you 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 got me on that too. Um, okay, so that was our first matchup: Justin Jefferson versus Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims moves on to the next round. Moving on. Again, we'll we'll put this together in a visual at some point so people can see this and follow along on Twitter. But we're now going to move on to our next matchup. And in our next matchup, I think I'm going to have to enter the ring. I was hoping to sit out, but I don't think I'm going to be able to on this one. (laughs) So we're going to look at a couple edge guys. We're going to look at Zach Bond from Wisconsin. And we're going to look at a guy's name who I'm absolutely going to butcher Yatir Gross Matos, maybe from Penn State. Um, if I if I butchered his name, which I'm sure I did, I apologize. I mean, no disrespect. Um, but uh, I'm going to represent Zach Bond on this one. Chris is going to take YGM. I'm just going to do that because I think I can say that. <laughs> oh, wait, <what's laughs> able... oh, I think I think it's Kerry taking yeah. you on. Oh, it's Kerry. Oh, yeah, Kerry's going uh, into the ring with you. Lord. See, I was hoping to go against, you know, somebody who hadn't already taken all my money um, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the DFS season. There's no money on the line this time, but I'm just tired of him just taking it. Man. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a dent to my manhood. But anyway, um, Chris, so I'll, I'll let you be the mediator on this one, because sometimes I, I, I didn't think about this until listening to you guys. I, I, I can't help but think maybe it makes a little bit of a difference on where you go, like whether you go first or second in this and, and how that can shape what the judge thinks. So you, you're going to be the judge of this round. So I'm going to let you pick who goes first and, and that and that kind of thing. All right. Um, so I'll let I'll let you go first, Mike, with uh, Zach Bond. 
Um, okay. He's a he's a he's an interesting guy, and I I think I think both of these guys are, are you know polarizing players that that definitely you're either on one side or you or you're on the other side. So I think this should be a an interesting battle between you and Kerry. Yeah, he 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 is an interesting player. Um, played on the ball uh, linebacker at Wisconsin, so kind of in that that edge position, but. Um, wasn't just a pass rusher. Um, they'd line him up over the slot and drop him into coverage. And he was more than comfortable in coverage. You know, he didn't look stiff. He didn't look lost out there. Um, in addition to his movement skills, uh, he looked like a guy who had a pretty good sense for um, the passing game, for reading route combinations and, and kind of knowing where, um, you know, an offense wanted to attack from from a, a route Um combination uh, standpoint. So that was something that kind of caught my eye as a pass rusher. I think he's really good with his hands. <coughs> Excuse me. I think he does a really good job uh, keeping himself clean, keeping his frame clean, not letting offensive linemen pull them into their pull him into their body so they can really uh, use their size advantage. Because I think when you look at his game, that that's kind of the thing where you think, OK, maybe maybe there's a little bit of a disadvantage for him um, at, at 238 pounds. I think is what he weighed in at the combine. Um, you don't typically see guys at that weight, um, you know, in terms of every down players on the edge or at an, in an outside linebacker position in the NFL where you know that the tackles, the offensive linemen uh, and even tight ends in some cases that he's going to be going up against are going to be better blockers than the guys that he faced in college. So, I mean, I think that's definitely, um, you know, a concern with him. But I think his movement ability and that ability to really be active uh, and really, you know, uh, be accurate with the placement of his hands helps mitigate that a little bit because he can get those guys, he can get their hands off of him so they can't grab him and pull him in or just, you know, his ability to kind of maneuver around them and bend and kind of flatten to the quarterback. So, I think that helps him out a little bit uh, in terms of that size disadvantage. I think he's really good on the backside of runs uh, because he can he can really move. So if you don't block him, if you don't cut him off on the backside of a run play, uh, if you get any kind of uh, delay on the on the front side of that run where they can stretch the play out or hold it up, he's going to chase that thing down from behind. And um, just kind of a, a unique thing about him coming into Wisconsin that that really caught my eye and. You can see it kind of just in his athletic ability. He was a quarterback in high school, kind of like a dual threat quarterback. And if you go back and look at the numbers that he he put up in high school as a dual threat quarterback, you're talking like Lamar Jackson type stuff. I mean, like 2000 yard rushing and like multiple. I think he might have also had a 2000 yard uh, passing year to his senior year in high school. Um, and, you know, even though he was a, a quarterback, they recruited him to Wisconsin as a linebacker and obviously ended up becoming a linebacker. But he was a Wisconsin State Player of the Year uh, his senior year in high school. So just kind of an interesting background for a guy who went on to become an outside linebacker. You can you can kind of tie that athleticism together and say, oh, OK, well, you can see it. Right. If this guy was a quarterback. You can see where that athleticism comes from. So um, that's uh, that's that's my case for Zach Bond. And uh I'm going to turn it over to uh, or turn it back to you, Chris, or, or turn it over to Kerry, and we'll we'll hear about YGM. All right. So that that was a great great synopsis there, Bond. But you didn't mention that he's 147 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you you're giving him too much credit. 
I was trying to gloss over that. <laughs> now, we so we have Sam linebackers, we have Will linebackers. Let's get a power edge uh, with my man Gross Mottos. Uh, this is a guy with excellent length, uh, uh, excellent first step explosion. Um, his hand use could could be better, could be more consistent. There's times where he pops it and he really gets himself free. There's other times where the the lineman gets a hold of him and kind of neutralizes him. Um, a, a comp I saw out there for him that that really shows up when you watch him is uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a, a long guy with, with, all know, with some power to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part, too. <laughs> but, you know, that, that comp really shows up for me when I watch him. Um, He's a guy to me has upside uh, with twists and stunts, and you know he, I think he can do some things as an um, interior rusher, and you know all of those things is kind of um, kind of common for first round um, you know edge rusher. But then when I really looked at him playing a run, he's ready to play the run in the NFL right away. I mean, from an edge setting standpoint, from uh, being able to 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 get off of blocks and, and make plays, um, you know, in his area and in, into other gaps. He's a pretty versatile, um, ready-made run defender right now. Um, the the thing about him is um, if the Ravens can get his hand use more consistent and up to speed um, and, you know, maybe get him a spin move, get him something else. Um, we're talking about a guy that, you know, that we talk a lot about, um, you know, the Ravens like in those power edges and, you know, sometimes people feel like those guys have, you know, six to eight sack a year kind of upside. Well, this is a guy that legitimately has double digit sack upside, a, a, you know, a year. Like he's he's one of those guys. I think he has one of the highest uh, ceilings in his draft among defensive players. Um, but it's that floor defending the run that makes me feel you know, comfortable with him as a prospect. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, my, my view of, uh, YGM. Yeah. To the judge, Chris, you get the vote. So you both made very compelling arguments. Um, I think it's interesting that, uh, Mike talked about how, how good Zach Vaughn was with his hands. And then Kerry talked about a deficiency that gross Matos has is his hands, his hand usage. And, and uh, not being as developed. So it, it feels like if you could just smash these two together and combine <laughs> them, you have the perfect pros- prospect. But in this game, we have to choose one. And um, it's, you know, with with, with Vaughn, um, I, I have a difficult time with the evaluation, not because I don't like him as a player. Um, he does, you know, a lot of things very well. Um, like you said, Mike, he... He can play the edge and he can also drop back into coverage and, and do it at a, a pretty high level, as we saw. Um, but that transition to going from the collegiate level where you're mainly just rushing the passer to possibly going to the next level and having to switch positions and play the linebacker role. That's a that's a transition that we've seen, uh, you know, these hybrid players have difficulty with. And especially with the Ravens, specifically speaking about uh, Kamala Correa and Tyus Bowser, where these guys are, you know, jack of all trades and master of none. 
So for this one, I would have to go with Gross Matos because I feel like, like Kerry said, he he has a good base right now as a run defender. And that's something that we saw the Ravens edge defenders other than Ward and Judon. We saw Bowser struggle with it. We saw Ferguson struggle with it. So if somebody can come in as a rookie and that be one of their strengths, I believe that's a guy that that they would want to get their hands on and, and mold him into, you know, what he can develop into because the tools are there. Kerry brought up, you know, his his athleticism and, you know, the comp to Jason Pierre Paul. I mean, this all the tools tools are there. It's just it has to be molded up. And I think if the Ravens can get his, their hands on him, I think they can they can do the job with gross models. Kerry taking my money again. I should have known. <laughs> it's like it's happen. like fantasy. He beat <laughs> yeah. me, then he beat you. Yeah, same way, same way. But 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 seriously though, in all seriousness, I I actually like probably that move myself personally <laughs> between those two players uh not not that i not that i didn't have conviction on 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 zach bond but it was more about in the point that you just make or if you just look at the ravens and their history they do tend to prefer guys who you know have a little bit more size and, and maybe have a little bit more of a power element to their game at that outside linebacker position and you guys mentioned the comp to uh, JPP, um, two other ones that you see when you go on Mock Draftable, uh, mockdraftable.com, great site, by the way, and you look at just the athletic comparables, just just his measurables and his spider charts, two guys that are in that 87 to 90 percentile uh, comparable range to, to YGM are Alden Smith and Chandler Jones. And there's some pretty good company to be in in terms oh, of yeah. on the field. We know Alden had some issues off the field, but from an on the field standpoint, um, those are those are in terms of pass rusher. Those are two two pretty good guys uh, to to share company with. So um, I, I'm not I'm mad that Kerry took my money again, essentially, but I'm not mad uh, with with the decision and and the player. So um, I was actually doing a little time check because you and our our kind of. Uh, pre-production meetings we've talked about like not having you know so many two-hour pods Uh, (laughs) I think that we're actually in really good shape though on this one in terms of time that we can get in one more matchup particularly because I don't think this one is going to be as lengthy as the others because we we pretty much all kind of have a a a unanimous uh, opinion uh, in this matchup so uh, we're going to talk about inside linebacker excuse me um I might have been thinking about Brandon Carr getting a little choked up. Um, we're going to talk about inside linebacker, and we're going to talk about the names that, you know, guys, all Ravens fans have heard, Patrick Queen from LSU and Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. Um, we've talked about this, guys. Uh, I'll start with you first, Kerry. I mean, I guess we can all just kind of give our, our, our two cents, but just full disclosure, just let everybody know right off the top, we, we all prefer Queen uh, to Murray. And oh, so, yeah. there, so there was really no point in, in kind of doing the, the, the matchup one for this one. But we also don't want to, you know, give short shrift to Murray and want to want to talk about him as a player, too. But again, like I said, I'll start with you, Kerry. Um, you know, tell us, I guess, a little bit about what you like about Patrick Queen as well as what you like about Kenneth Murray. But but maybe why Patrick Queen um, would be would be the guy you prefer um, in, in that matchup. Right. So Queen, to me. Uh, was just more physical uh, than Murray. 
Now I didn't I didn't care for the way that uh, Queen attacked blocks at times. Um, I think he's going to need to get better there. Um, um, I don't think either one of these guys are are really ready to be three down um, linebackers right away. Um, but you know they they definitely both have upside. But I would prefer Queen uh, just because I, I I think he's more physical. Uh, I think he has a, a better uh, tackling radius, um, and I, I I just think his upside is a, a bit higher. Now Murray, uh, if you can keep him clean, he's going to eat. Um, he's a sideline to sideline player. You know, great closing speed. Um, if he's freed up and you know you line it all up for him, he's going to shoot his gun and he's going to get there and he, and he can um, you know land some big shots. Um, I think he's good as a blitzer. Again, he's he, he's capable in, in coverage, um, but you know, instinctively, I would like to see him, um, you know, process things a little bit quicker. Um, you know, do a little more there, um, and then also with him with the attacking blocks, I just want to see him be more urgent and be more violent with his hands. Um, you know, um, attacking blocks. Um, so that's kind of my view on both of them. I mean, both of them are quality players. Queen would be my choice. Um, but if the Ravens went with, with Murray, I would have, you know, um, no issue with that. He's a, you know, good, good player, um, you know, quality prospect, but I think, uh, Queen, I just have him, you know, a little bit ahead of Murray. So Chris, let me, let me throw that over to you. Um, again, you also uh, are, are a Queen fan uh, yes. and, and, and probably give him the nod over over Kenneth Murray. So you've got the floor. Um, tell us a little bit about why why you like Queen and, uh, you know, some some thoughts on Murray, too, as well. Yeah, I like Queen um, because he's he, he's natural in space. And that's something that that I think we don't really see with with Murray that, that often Murray's usually either going sideline to sideline or straight forward. And with queen, we see a little bit more variety in his game where he is falling back and he is, you know, playing coverage and he's, he's feeling, uh, crossers behind him. Now there are, there are instances like Kerry said, where he does lack that, that physicality sometimes. And, you know, that's just, I, I feel like it's just, something that'll come with time because he is still such a young player. He doesn't have that many games under his belt. He just, he just became a starter midway through the season. So I think coming downhill, he'll need to, to work on that and his, his timing when it comes to that. But I think that his ceiling is, is, is really high. And he, he kind of reminded me of Levante David, because I was trying to look for guys around his size and I saw, it was guys like Eric Kendricks and it, Eric Kendricks. He's a completely different player, but they're they you know they had the same measurables, but it's it just didn't go right with me. And I felt like Levante David was kind of that that mold of player that Patrick Queen can turn into. Now with Murray, Murray to me he reminded me of like an overzealous dog that's just excited to to get to that, that new toy, but sometimes we'll overrun that toy to win his excitement. And I think that's something that, that could probably be, be fixed, you know, as, you know, time goes on 
and definitely behind a good defensive line that will be able to keep him clean where he can he can just read and react and just see ball, get ball kind of deal. But as far as a cerebral player who can, you know, make all the calls on the defense and also make plays going backwards, that's something that we don't really see on tape with him. And that's the big question mark that we have. We know he has the athleticism and, you know, he has that that relentlessness about him. But it's those question marks at the next level because teams are going to diagnose what you're weak at and they're going to want to double offenses. They're going to want to put you in in positions where they know that you're weak. So it's not just going to be like, you know, oh, we could just cover it up. It's it's something that will be, you know, will be picked on at the next level. So that's why I I lean towards Queen over Murray. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just tie a bow on it. You guys hit on um, all of the the on-field points. I mean, I you, you've already talked about anything that I would talk about. Um, the one thing I'll add, and this is this is no knock on Patrick Queen, who, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not saying this to question his character off the field or anything, because I haven't heard anything negative, only you know, only positive things about his character, and 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 kind of something cool about him. You mentioned him. Um, only becoming a starter halfway through, he took somebody's job. He was not the starter <laughs> at their middle linebacker position to start the season, but played well enough to take uh, an older player, you know, a, a player who who um, had been on the team for longer to take their job. So that that speaks a lot uh, to, to his play on the field and, and sort of his mental uh, capability to grasp the offense and the playbook and everything they were doing. But um just from a character standpoint, if there if there was a guy who was ever a Raven, it's Patrick Murray. Uh, I mean, sorry, Kenneth, Kenneth Murray. There you go. I've combined them before. Now I'm doing it again. It's Kenneth Murray. And we talked about this before. I mean, from you and anybody can go out and Google this stuff. But from, um, you know, his parents, you know, one of them being a, a pastor, one of them a retired police officer from him, you know, doing CPR on a lady who had been in an accident uh, and, and, and kind of saving her life from helping to raise uh, his three adopted siblings who have special needs. You're just not going to find a guy who whose character, um, you know, kind of speaks, you know, play like a Raven or, or a Raven type, you know, player from a high character standpoint than him. So, um, you know, that 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 checks all the boxes right right there on, on the character side of it. But I definitely kind of agree with you guys on the field as as Queen kind of having the the advantage of the two and. Um, cause I'm the last one who gets to speak about these two. I'll throw this in. That's the advantage, right? Sometimes when you go last, um, I think Carrie and I, and I know Chris, you said you still have to, to kind of do a little more in-depth study on him. We're big Malik Harrison guys, uh, the linebacker from Ohio yes, State. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that's not to say, I don't want to put words in Carrie's mouth, but I, I don't, I don't think we're saying, Hey, take him at 28 over Queen or Murray if they're available. But I think if you just looked at them in a vacuum, Right. Take draft spot out of it and say, well, you had to pick one of these three. I think he and I both would probably take Harrison uh, out of that group. And um, Chris, I, I think you'll be you'll be impressed when you get a chance to study more in depth. And then you and I, Chris, had talked about Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Oh, another yeah. guy who, who's, who's not in the first round conversation, but um, another good looking guy who really tested well uh, at the combine, in addition to putting out some really good tape. Uh, there at Wyoming. So, you know, there's there's some 
there's some options, you know, at, at, at various points in the draft at inside linebacker. So, you know, for, for everybody who's thinking, you know, well, the cupboard looks bare and I'm really nervous about the inside linebacker spot. Um, I think you've got a vet there in Fort. You've got two young guys in Alaska and board um, who are going to be competing. And then you've got some talented guys in this draft, um, you know, who, who can who can come in and and also compete and 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 find a way to contribute. And with the Ravens, man, even even as free agency goes along and as we get later into the year, you know, they're going to find a guy somewhere. Right. Another veteran guy, if they feel they need that. Right. As, as competition goes along in that group and if they feel like that's something they need, you know, they'll find a guy some kind of way and bring that guy in and work him into it. So I don't worry about it because I, I, I kind of feel like I can see the plan um, that maybe they have. Obviously, I don't know specifically, but just from some of the moves and, and, and some of the things that they've done and not done, um, I think I kind of can see, you know, maybe maybe what their approach to the position is. So I'm I'm not worried about it. Um, but. This is something we hope to keep doing over the next couple of podcasts. Obviously, we want to get that all get get all these matchups and uh, and get to the final player done before the draft. And then um, here's another little teaser. Uh, we've got something really special that we're working on for the draft. Something that uh, was Carrie's brainchild. Um, that really, when he shared it with Chris and I, we really couldn't think of anybody out anybody else out in in kind of the podcast. Uh, football content space that had done anything like it uh, or have done or, or are doing anything like it. So uh, it, it should be really exciting. We're still kind of uh, building it and, and polishing it up, but I think it's going to be really unique and uh, really interesting and something that I think people are really going to like. So we're just going to tease that uh, out there. But uh, before that, uh, we'll keep working through these matchups and it'll be interesting to see who comes out uh through the process at, 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 uh, the last, last person standing for that 28th pick. But before we wrap, um, I'll just bounce it back to the guys, Chris, I'll start with you. Anything else, uh, any final thoughts you have before we, uh, we land this plane? Uh, just, um, I just want to thank everybody that has, uh, has listened and, and reached out to us. Um, it, it definitely means a lot to get, get everybody's feedback on, on what they think of the show and, uh, you know, any ideas that they have when they, you know, toss names at us, like, uh, you know, guys that we should watch or, or their opinion on who we should sign. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to us to know that, that, uh, you guys are listening. So, uh, we're going to keep trying to, you know, put out this content and, and, you know, hopefully you guys, you know, keep coming back to listen. No doubt. No doubt. Carrie, what about you? Any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, um, kind of to piggyback off uh, what Chris was saying, uh, you know, we definitely appreciate it. You know, you're taking time out of your day to listen to us. Um, you know, the support has been great, um, you know, so far. And hopefully we can just keep this momentum going. Um, rate, like, review the show. You know, if you if you hear something that you like, you know, let us know. You If you have, you know, comments, you know, respectful ones, of course. Um <laughs> shoot those our way. You know, I hate to be talking about somebody mama online, but you know, I will do it if necessary. Um, but no, other than that, man, um, just, you know, contact your local government, man, about these barbershops, man. We need, we need barbers. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to be selfish and go back to that, man, but Hey, 
you know, I've been I've been wondering about this whole like robot thing. Right. This seems like a prime situation for robots. Right. When you, you look around the world and you see some of the things happening in Japan and China with these really lifelike looking, you know, humanoid type robots, they ain't got to be that. That might be kind of weird. But just something that can come into your house, you know, fade you up, tighten up your line. I mean, that seems like a no brainer. I mean, you're not you're not going to be exposed to anything with the robot coming in. Robots not carrying anything. Um, it seems like a no brainer to me. But but on a serious note, listen, um, Mike, listen, Mike. I would take my barber over any robot and I'll take my barber and whatever virus he has over a machine cutting my hair any day. A robot. <laughs> I will not trust a robot cutting my hair. You got to you got to open your mind to the possibilities, Chris. You know, I've, just, see, I've seen Terminator. I've seen Terminator too many times before for that. Yeah, but he wasn't cutting hair, though. So, you know, you got to keep that. You got to put it in context. He was killing people. We just talk about cutting hair. That's all. Hey, hey, the, hey this might, is how it starts. Your fade looking like a flash drive. I'm just I just, just throwing out there another option. Uh, you know, you know, it's different strokes, right? What might be right for some may not be right for, for all. You know? um, but on a serious note, uh, I echo everything you guys say about uh, listeners, people who've given us feedback. Really appreciate everybody for doing that. All the positive vibes and encouragement we've gotten about the show. And uh, just want to remind everybody, you know, to continue to be safe uh, as we're still in this pandemic environment. Continue to listen to all the guidance that's out there. Be smart, uh, social distance, self-quarantine, wash your hands. Um, Well, the guys know I'm not even going to say it, but I'm going to find a way to put put something I want to drop in. (laughs) I can think of it right now. Uh, But but seriously, I I, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, sometimes it's easy when you're going through something like this, which is really strange. And we're all kind of really in weird times and having to adjust to things that are new, you know, really not not something that any of us uh, have have gone through before. But, you know, just use this as an opportunity. Right. I mean, I, w- I want to put it in the right context. Anybody who who is dealing with sick family members or sick loved ones, you know, that that that's a, a different story. And, and we certainly send our prayers out to them. But if you're all good and everybody's healthy and you're just inside and, and quarantining, you know, you use this as an opportunity. Right. I mean, you can you can look at things in my in my perspective, two ways in life. You can look at what's happening to you or what's happening for you. Right. So you can look at this as something that's happening to you and kind of take the negative approach, or you can look at it as 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 a positive and say, hey, maybe I've got an opportunity to do more things with my family, uh, to to create something, you know, uh, maybe if there's something from a creative standpoint that you wanted to do and haven't had the time to do, or um even even more practical things, like just doing stuff around your house that you've been putting off, whatever. But it's really so much about your mindset, you know, and, and just, you know, how you're how you're thinking about things. So I just want to throw that out there. Just some conversations I'd had with people over the weekend and just try and keep people up, you know, because it's, it's easy. It's easy to get down right now, um, you know, with with the seriousness of everything going on. And um, to me, that that's that's a mindset thing. Right. You, you can you can let yourself get down, but you can also get yourself up. You know, so just want to throw that out there kind of kind of as a, a words of encouragement for everybody. And uh Hey, be on the lookout soon for the next episode. You know, we'll be back at you and, uh, you know, hang on to see what happens with these draft matchups. It's getting interesting. Yes, yes sir, it is. Uh, so with that being said, 
We'll see you guys next week.